Welcome to New Deal Radio, a weekly podcast created by the New Deal Group and New Deal Political Action Committee. You can reach us at newdealnow.org, and you can reach me, Robert Lucero, your humble host on New Deal Radio, at robert at newdealgroup.com. To share our podcast with your friends, please tell them to look up New Deal Now or go to newdealnow.org. Please contact your representatives in Congress to get them to sponsor H.R. 6422, the call for a national infrastructure bank, the beginning of a real economic turnaround centered on New Deal policies for today. I have on the line with me Lamar Lemons III. He is the former president of the Detroit Board of Education, a former three-term member of the Michigan House of Representatives. He's the past special assistant to the Wayne County Executive. And he's currently the chief of staff to Michigan State Senator Betty Jean Alexander. Uh, Mr. Lemons is also a member of the advisory committee uh, for the Coalition for a National Infrastructure Bank. Um, this coalition has now succeeded in introducing into the current Congress House Resolution 6422, a call for a $4 trillion national infrastructure bank modeled on our previous national bank in our, our history. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, but we um, we find ourselves in, in quite a situation, huh, Mr. Lemons? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, 2020 <laughs> was full of surprises. Yeah. So here we are. It's June 2nd, 2020. Um, just before we hopped on the line, I was realizing I hadn't been on looking at the TV much today and realized I don't know if anything else has, has popped right now, and hopefully everybody's staying as, staying as safe as possible, but... Again, if you just think about where we are in 2020, um, Mr. Lemons and I are both sort of veteran organizers from two different uh, paths in life, but we've both been organizing. He has been in Detroit. Um, I've been in different parts of the country, and we've been seeing something like what's what's happening now. I don't think either one of us anticipated that it would all kind of happen at once. Um, <clears throat> you know, we he's been organizing for the last couple of years on this National Infrastructure Bank, and during that, we had the breakout of the COVID-19 crisis in March, uh, which by April and May, we began to realize, at least very publicly, that it was affecting minority communities a lot a lot stronger. Um, and we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. And then, of course, we had the, the murder on the streets of America, the murder of George Floyd by uh, four police officers. The, the discussion we're going to have here is, somewhat specific and unique because you have a lot of people on, on television and other media that are talking about the different issues we've been facing, such as discrimination, police brutality, all of which are true. But what you and I are coming from is the, the a movement for a solution, this National Infrastructure Bank, the beginning of a solution for the economic crisis behind a lot of what we're seeing. Go ahead and give me your view of what you think um, is the sort of uh, heartbeat or the pulse in your community about everything that's been happening, especially since this murder of George Floyd? Well, let's just say this. Everything that was uh, there in, in, uh, in, intricately intertwined, 
the what we have is uh, the uh, the uh, first the advent of the pandemic, which uh, had the effect of causing mass uh, unemployment, mm-hmm. which also it did several things. It caused a one a frustra- uh, frustration and uh, collective anxiety um, due to the uh, the economic situation, personal on, on a personal level to everyone. But it also put people more uh, gave people more time to be on social media. Mm-hmm. And so while on social media, uh, we had three incidents in the. Um, I, think, I believe her name is Brianna in Kentucky, Aubrey mm-hmm. in Georgia, Georgia, and um, and of course uh, George Floyd in uh, Minnesota, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and it was just those were clear violations. Everyone had time because of the economic mm-hmm. situation to focus and to be outraged and to contemplate, to be. Uh, deliberate and and thoughtful in it, and to to see uh, white privilege in full uh, in its ugliest form, where right. the police department were violating um, uh, the people's constitutional rights, breaking into homes and shooting people, shooting first, and uh, and, and and asking questions. Oops, wrong house first. Mm. Uh, where we saw white supremacist. Uh, um, uh, targeting someone in the in, in a 21st century lynching in the yeah. Aubrey case, and we saw the um, white supremacist uh, uh, Trumpsters, and we saw that that police officer was at Trump rallies in Minnesota. He's mm-hmm. also identified there, and um, with the uh, that uh, right wing Klan Klan Ku Klux Klanish mentality that so many police officers have. And so now we mm-hmm. see every all this is not only nationally but internationally seen when you uh, through social media because mm-hmm. in, in, uh, social media is international. So even something I did see today is that in several embassies around the world, uh, um, uh, African populations and uh, uh, those who uh, who have witnessed uh, uh, and are aware of what happened. Um, to Mr. Floyd in particular, are outraged, and they're protesting mm. on the U.S. embassy in those nations. Mm. These are not Americans. These are people, humans, who are outraged by what they see happening in America. And remember, America always tried to ride high horse, a high moral horse on, on such things. As a matter of fact, Trump on China talked about Hong Kong and human rights violations. And so now the Chinese uh, a premier uh, of China uh, retorted and said, I can't breathe. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, yeah. To Trump's uh, accusation of uh, human rights violations in, in Hong Kong where um, uh, there, where there was nothing like what happened here in the, um, um, in the U.S. Yeah. I mean, just a shameless hypocrisy. Yeah, uh, you know, you would think that we've we've had incidents like that before, where we have human rights violations going on here at home, and we, we try to police the world, and people sort of point it out to us sort of sheepishly. But now it's just so stark; mm-hmm. it's so so much in, in in bold relief. And and what you said in terms of the setting, in terms of how you had the COVID nineteen situation, and people 
on stay-at-home orders or dealing with the massive unemployment. We're now reaching 45 million people, uh, at least publicly declared unemployed. It could be much higher than that. So the the uh, circumstances exist for a a total uh, tinderbox. Um, you know, if if this isn't dealt with properly. Uh, and you see yesterday, as I'm sure you saw at least part of this, uh, the president was trying to re uh, refer to a police aid type measures. Um, what's your sense of that? Because I know that there's a specific reference to the ways in which the military was deployed in the United States or removed for public, for, for quote unquote public safety. Oh, well, my, my thought is it's so ironic that, you know, the uh, law, the uh, Posse Comitatus Act, was put into place to actually uh, allow to lead the uh, the recently freed uh, um, African Americans uh, 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 and leave us defenseless to the uh, former con uh, Confederate soldiers, mm -hmm. uh, and which uh, put us in a position um, uh, to uh, of, uh, leave us defenseless. And now he's going to uh, uh, that and evoke the uh, uh, the uh, an act to use um, to violate uh, the Posse Comitatus Act and to um, to so that he can attack uh, African American protesters and and their sympathizers uh, mm -hmm. as as they uh, protest police brutality. Mm -hmm. Right, they essentially declare the United States in an open insurrection. Right. Uh, and, and one discussion I saw of this last night, I think it was the former Homeland Security, uh, Mr. Johnson, um, who, who was on uh, MSNBC, and he was asked about this, and he said, you know, look, this uh, insurrection, insurrection Act of 1807 had to be dragged out of the closet by some lawyer um, because this thing is not only is so old, but it's also something that you, you really don't use until it's clear that every state national guard and every uh, state court system doesn't work, it has fallen apart. You know, and we've right. really not reached that point. Uh, heaven right. Forbid. Well, that's what Trump is going <laughs> to assert. He's, he's right. asserting that um, that the um, that they, that the uh, the government has failed to exist. That's the Interaction Act was to, uh, put into place, and if there's a total failing of state government. Mm-hmm. And right. so what he's he's politicizing that, saying that uh the he's making it arbitrary an arbitrary declaration of uh of of uh of of the state's uh inability to act. And that shows his uh, tendency to, uh, to as an uh, an authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, if you think about 1807, I mean, this comes from this, this period in human history uh, during the Napoleonic Wars where we were looking right. at global dictatorship and you had a problem in the Jefferson administration of people who were essentially soft on that kind of quote-unquote revolution. So you can see, you also wonder where all of these uh, Second Amendment uh, anti-dictatorship people are right now. Um, right. If if President Obama had threatened to to call up the uh, you know the military on people citing the insurrection insurrection act, um, I think we would have had a very different response <laughs> than we had yesterday. Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think uh, what I wanted to also talk about is again some of this has thrown us all for a bit of a 
a loop here in the sense that we 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 had an election year coming into 2020 all set up ready for us to sort of have our our, our crack at um, creating a new administration if that's what what uh, people wanted as I think people did and now we're looking at a situation where you got a guy talking about martial law you had um, his son-in-law two months ago talking about well maybe we'll have to postpone the election right uh, you know so it really is a lot like 1932 and 33, which is you had Hitler taking power in Europe, you had fascism rising in Europe in the 1930s, and you had FDR uh, come to power in, 1930, in the 1932 election and kind of barely make it into Washington after almost getting killed in Florida before he was inaugurated. Uh, and even then, as, as you were mentioning earlier to me, uh, and I'd like you to talk about some of this, um, Franklin Roosevelt was far from perfect. Uh, when he came in and later, and he was dealing with a less-than-perfect Democratic Party at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're the New Deal radio podcast. We are the New Deal mm-hmm. Political Action Committee, and we're calling for essentially a modern New Deal today. Right. But I, I wanted to ask you about this question of the New Deal for African Americans and what it meant back then and how we'd have yeah. to address that problem well, today. Actually, you know, there were exemptions cut out in the New Deal um, so that we, the African, that for agricultural workers, which were being sharecroppers, they formerly enslaved, and, and for domestic workers, which mm-hmm. is also the formerly enslaved, who still worked in that capacity as there was a neo-slavery uh, or slavery part two uh, mm-hmm. put in through uh, Jim Crow, and uh, as, we, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the, uh, the removal of the federal troops from the South and the passing of the uh, Posse Comitatus Act, which uh, prohibited federal troops to be being brought into the states without the state government requesting it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. um, and so, when the because uh, FDR was a uh, a Democrat and the Democratic Party is still being controlled by the uh, the uh, sons of the secessionists, if you will, and secessionist sympathizers. Uh, also called Dixiecrats, um, right. the, uh, they uh, uh, saw that the majority of African Americans, which were 90% still uh, in 1932, was 90% were still in the South as we were making our way uh, north as, as much as we could uh, to the urban areas such as Detroit, that, um, that much of the New Deal provisions um, excluded us. And even those in the North, particularly with the uh, home, um, the uh, the uh, the uh, the redlining that really happened under uh, Roosevelt, where we were not allowed to get the federal loans. Also, we were exempt from um, we were ex- exempt from um, many of the veteran benefits uh, after World War Two. Mm. Well, I think as I mentioned to you before as well, I was in I lived in Detroit for a short period of time about uh, fifteen years ago. And it struck me in doing some research while I was there, you know, after being there and driving through various neighborhoods, working with different community leaders, to realize that most people have heard of the, the, the riots in the 1960s in Detroit and other major cities, but they don't know enough about the the riot that occurred during the war over right. housing. Right, in 1943. That was worse. That was worse. That's whites went out and began to randomly attack African Americans as we were making our way north, those who were not involved in the war effort or who are coming here to work, for instance, in the factories to uh, um, 
um, to assist in the war effort, uh, uh, coming to Detroit, known as the Arsenal of Democracy, right. um, because of the uh, racial intermixture, they were discriminating, and we were being forced into a very small area um, and and overpopulated. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you something about this question of the arsenal of democracy because, again, as I say, I was an organizer up there, and we were at the time we were trying to work with the youth, but also labor unions on the idea of uh, retooling a lot of the uh, capacity for the auto sector at the time, mm-hmm. retooling it for the purpose of producing components for uh, high-speed rail, uh, maybe other uh, you know heavy industrial products that could be produced again in the United States. Um, we, we did not succeed, but I would say that one of my concerns, and I, I know I want to say this the right way to not, um, you know, uh, try to, to not denigrate Detroit at all because I love Detroit, but mm-hmm. the issue for me is to see a city that was the arsenal of democracy in 1945, uh, in the 1940s, to see what we did to it in, in the 70s and 80s essentially, to me that's on the conscience of America. What happened to Detroit, Cleveland, Buffalo in terms of gutting our industrial right. heartland, right? You know? the, the, the corporations abandoned, um, mm-hmm. and they had no. There was no sense of nationalism or loyalty or patriotism among the corporations. They seek the uh, the ROI, the best return on investment, and, mm-hmm. and for them, it was to go offshore and where they can exploit uh, the worker, particularly, um, and the and the and the infrastructure of other places that did not have a, an EPA and Biomedical, Biomedical Protection Agency that did not have a, um, uh, 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 OSHA, Occupational Health and Safety, that did not mm-hmm. have, uh, child labor laws, all the things mm-hmm. that we fought, mm-hmm. uh, minimum wage, living wage, et cetera, et cetera. All, none of that do these countries have, so you could exploit, and then, like, as they say on Shark Tank, uh, and get a, get a, a manufactured price, uh, landed. Because it, it mm-hmm. um, because it requires you to ship it, and so they right. have to say that it's 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 even uh, cheaper to manufacture offshore and incur the shipping um, and the and the and the cost of bringing something in uh, overseas um, from overseas and the and operating overseas than it is to pay the and to put in the health provision, health and safety provisions environmental provisions. And worker provisions. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's ironic in the sense that right now, before COVID nineteen hit, there was a whole slew of new books that were coming out about this concept of deaths of despair, mm-hmm. and they're talking about this now because they're saying, well, a lot of these middle aged and older white guys on the farms and in all these small manufacturing towns are dying. Either their lives have been shortened through health mm-hmm. issues, or they're killing themselves. And in one review I read about one of these books in the New York Times book review, they, they, they had a, a very short half a sentence reference to the fact that, well, this hurt the black families in the 1970s and 80s. But let's move on now to this other topic, right? So there's this whole discussion now that about deaths of despair in uh, these, these former industrial areas that are generally affecting white men, you know? Right. But, but in one... Yeah, and, and one review I saw about it referenced the fact that, you know, 30 years ago in the 70s and 80s, this hit the black communities and did a lot to hurt black families in that period of time. But it was a passing reference. So now that it's hit, you know, white families, it seems to matter. But back then it was, you know, 
Not right. that you well, would and, feel, and, you know and, what and, I mean? And, and <laughs> exactly. Let me say this. What, what happened also during that time was also, the, which the CIA admitted to, of course, um, in the Iran-Contra, was the crack epidemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, right. the CIA admitted that they were uh, selling drugs and so they could help finance the Contras in Nicaragua. Uh, right. Sure, that's a... And you have to Google that if they want to find more about that. But yeah. the um, um, so uh, there, there was a response. Well, at the same time, now we have the opioid ep- epidemic, which mm-hmm. uh, affects white people, and it's a total different uh, way of treating. I talk about treatment instead of incarceration. If mm-hmm. they incarcerated all those at the same rate that they did to crack, which mm-hmm. is the prison industrial. It, mm-hmm. Then you you would have mass, you couldn't we'd have to be building prisons hands over foot to accommodate <laughs> all the white people that that uh, violated opioid laws um, both from both as doctors pharmacists and um, um, users. Mm-hmm. Right. But exactly. for some reason, for some reason, uh, the, the, there's no the, there's no push to incarcerate. I wonder mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. And so that caused a mass incarceration, destabilization of communities. Whole communities were wiped out, particularly among the male population. And so, um, and so to the degree that there were children in the community, they grew up fatherless and, and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and, and without guidance. All that happened. Well, now the chickens, as Malcolm said, come mm-hmm. home to roost. Only, they're, again, they're dealing differently on how they treat the white population doing the exact same thing. Well, I've been trying to press people on this issue, which is, you know, people say that people respond to this slogan of Black Lives Matter, and they say, well, all lives matter. And I said, well, look, a lot of people say you call them out and say, well, you look, then this is the point of what's happening here, right? Um, we have called for full employment for all black men. People say, well, we want full employment. I said, well, you're missing the point. There's a specific problem that we've allowed to go on for uh, uh, more than a generation now, as you mentioned, you know. Right. It's okay and, and for certain... Forget, there are two groups. Mm-hmm. But there are two groups that there are, were mentioned specifically to discriminate in, in by, by the U.S. Constitution. Black people, particularly black men, but other black people, and Native Americans. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Native Americans are referenced to treaty, everything mm-hmm. constitutional, and African Americans are, are, are referenced as people held in service, mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. euphemism for our enslavement. So mm. all lives, but all lives were not enslaved. All lives were not Jim Crow. <laughs> all, lives, all, right. all white white men didn't have, were not treated worse than the Germans, or they treated German soldiers after World War II far better than they treated African American hero fighters. Mm-hmm. Many yeah. of the African Americans had to wait many times long after they left when they said, "Oops, well, we well, yes, we discriminated." Here's your mm-hmm. award. Oh, you're not here to get it, but maybe your grandkids can get it 40, mm-hmm. 50 years later. I think I heard a story recently about Nina Simone. She was brought into the, uh, the USO to sing, a, to sing for some troops, and she saw uh, these German prisoners of war sitting in the front row with better seats than any black face she could see, and she right. stormed off the stage and said, I'm not singing to that. I'm not, I'm not singing out there for that. Right. <laughs> you know? And even here in the United States, they had German uh, prisoners of war in, within the United, held in the United States who did what Jim Crow did not have to sit in the back, who were not, uh, uh, were not mm-hmm. amused, who uh, actually worked on farms as part of their prison thing and were treated, mm-hmm. could, uh, had the mobility to go and mm-hmm. shop and could shop in white only stores. Mm-hmm. 
even as we were mm. going, even as we were at war. Those are mm. little things they forgot to tell you in history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The things I... like even like the discrimination. <laughs> we're talking about we're talking about a new space age, and we found out before they got computers, they had human computers, mm-hmm. and uh, and those human computers, many of them were, were some of them were black women. In fact, John Glenn said he wanted to, the, the black woman to check, and I can't think of her name right now, to check mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the status <laughs> of his new IBM computer as we were entered <laughs> in the space age. During the Cold War, at the very same time, there were Jim Crow governors were standing indoors preventing us from going to school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, but, so do black lives matter? Did, did, all, did, all, did all lives have to go through that? Do all lives have to <laughs> experience that? Right. And of course, that wasn't so long ago that many of those people, including my father, are still alive that experience. And I'm still mm-hmm. alive because that happened in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And I was around then. And mm-hmm. even before that, the 40s was my father, and he was around, and before that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah. when people talk about that, that black life, we just cringe. Mm-hmm. When they say all lives. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely missing, missing the point there. You know, and again, it's these sort of uh, these old sins that we have not corrected that, that come back. And they're, and they're not so old. And, and mm-hmm. of course, we're not the old. George, we watch as George Floyd. That's not an old mm-hmm. sin. That's last week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we no, we no. saw that he, that he was on the ground, handcuffed, with mm-hmm. three cops on him, suppressing his lungs and his mm-hmm. neck simultaneously. People, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the young teenager, could you imagine being a teenager and having to film that? Mm-hmm. The little teenager who filmed that, she only filmed from the front. But fortunately, mm-hmm. everybody's got a camera now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I guess what I, what I mean is people, what, what I mean is the people, a lot of times I hear you and I'm completely with you, right? but I hear people who say, well, I'm tired of talking about all this, right? Oh, haven't we talked about this? But you, well, I'm enough? tired of living it. I'm good. <laughs> right. you, you don't want to talk? I'm tired of living it. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Um, I wanted to uh, mention another point on here. Um, you you actually uh, tap, touched on it a little bit, which is this question of the uh, yeah, the Native Americans. I lived in Utah for a couple of years recently and, and worked directly with the, the Ute Indian tribe and some other tribes in the region. And it came out during this COVID-19 crisis, and it's continuing right now, that the Navajo Nation, which is the largest reservation in the U.S., and has a large population on the reservation, they have the highest per capita rate of COVID-19 cases. Right. Um, and not only that, one-third of their population still does not have running water in the year 2020. It got so bad in May that Doctors Without Borders had to come in to the United States to help the Navajo Nation. Exactly. How humiliating that mm. the richest country in the world mm. has to have doctors without borders, which is supposed to be for third world nations that can't afford medicine. Mm. In fact, Cuba offered to come here and help mm. because they Cuba takes health care serious. Mm-hmm. But that's another subject. <laughs> right. No, that's the thing. And so I, I was going to bring up something to you, which is I, I have a friend who is a supporter of the New Deal Political Action Committee. He's a, a recently retired uh, engineer in, in California here. He's a white gentleman, and he has really been struggling with his conscience over the last couple of years because he says the way he feels he's lived his life politically, he essentially feels like he's been in the position of what he calls a racist bully, 
That is, he was 18 in 1969, and he stayed in the comfort of San Diego County, California, living the privileged life, while Native American, black, Hispanic men went off to war in Vietnam. And he feels that he's been a fraud since the 1970s because all he's been doing is his idea of politics is, you know, I hate Nixon, I hate Reagan, I hate Bush, but I'm going to support Carter and Clinton and Obama just because they're Democrats. And his concern today is, you know, everybody's focusing on, on, on targeting Trump, sort of an easy target, who makes himself an easy target every day. But are we letting the Democrats off the hook? I mean, We, we have been letting and we've been fighting. We and this is why, right, we have mm-hmm. Trump because the Democrats gave us Hillary. And there was enough of the African-American population to either uh, the 8% African-American males who said, well, Trump is a dummy, but how much, they didn't know how, worse, how much worse he could be. He mm-hmm. showed us how much worse he could be. But mm-hmm. we didn't know. Um, at least some of us thought we didn't know. I, didn't, I wouldn't vote for Trump because I knew he would have Republican uh, justices. Mm-hmm. And I didn't yeah. want the man I thought was unstable to have the nuclear codes. But beyond right. that, <laughs> beyond that, there was little motivation to to, uh, to 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 bring in a Hillary Clinton after she and her husband had supported the crime bill that had we talked about and the disparity yeah. that the uh, mass incarceration and the disparity that uh, uh, of treatment that happened under their administrations and that they fostered that they followed the Republicans uh, uh, governors and and governor Republican led states. And, and, and the so-called welfare reform, it wasn't just the coin bill. So they said, so in the middle of, uh, uh, of uh, right before a, 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 a recession, there's always a recession in the black community, and so you only mm-hmm. can be on the welfare system for four years instead of saying, here, we have a job for you instead of welfare. Right. Then that would be quiet up. We got child care and a job, and you wouldn't mm-hmm. have any problem. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, too, and, you know, we founded the New Deal Political Action Committee four years ago in 2016, and it was actually in the summer of 2016 during the when the conventions happened, but it was also right around the time that Hillary Clinton, after the convention, gave a speech in Warren, Michigan, and it was on economic policy. And I, and I thought, as somebody like you, I only lived there for a short time, but I have a sense of what Michigan is. I said, oh, this is, this is good, and not only is it smart politically, but... I hope she delivers. She gave a speech talking about manufacturing and all these jobs, but that was the only time she was there. And that was the only time she was in what we call the industrial heartland and essentially blew that margin, like you say. You know, blew those margin of votes. Right, right. And she blew that margin because we were not motivated to come out. I voted, and I voted for her reluctantly. In fact, let me tell you what I did. I voted for Jill Stein, and then I had to get my ballot back because Hillary was up 10 points, uh, 10 uh, 10 points uh, six weeks before the election, uh, 45 days before the election. I always vote early just in case I die. My vote still counts. So I vote early, and uh, and two weeks before the election, she was in a dead heat, and so I had Mm -hmm. to go back and vote for her. You know, you, 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 I went to the clerk and got my ballot returned. And that's because, I, I, you know, I was having a, I wanted to protest. I right. wanted her to win, but I wanted her to win by the thinnest of margins so right. that perhaps we might, she might be willing to listen. I didn't want her to have a mandate after, after the Clintons. And now what do we have now? We've got Joe Biden. And let me tell you, the African-American community is only supporting Joe Biden because they thought he had the best chance. I'm a mm-hmm. Bernie-crat. 
I supported Bernie. Well, actually, I supported Elizabeth, and then mm-hmm. when Elizabeth uh, was out. I supported Bernie, but mm-hmm. and I supported Bernie four years ago. Um, but the the, um, the reality is the um, uh, that the Democratic Party has not delivered and has mm-hmm. not uh, been sincere when dealing with African Americans. Yeah. No, I hear you, and I was going to ask you, in terms of your organizing for this National Infrastructure Bank before, I know you've been on a number of lobbying trips in Washington and probably other meetings, uh, without asking you to name any names, just if you don't mind giving us a little bit of a sense of some of the discussions that stand out to you from talking with elected officials and maybe some well, congressmen uh, about this. Said- Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, well, we met with Clyburn, Jim Graham. Mm-hmm. He, uh, we met with him twice. He sat with mm-hmm. us and met with us personally with us in his office and was very accommodating and, um, and, and, and said, uh, told us, helped, gave us a direction on how to move the legislation. We got uh, the legislation draft and redraft. We paid a professional to draft it so we can have a bill. We got a bill sponsor, um, myself Robert and Robert Williams of, uh, of South Carolina, Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, state representative there uh, was able to convince uh, Danny Davis and his office to move the uh, the uh, uh, to move to actually sponsor the bill. Mm-hmm. And now we're trying now that now we're calling uh, Congress people, and that's House Bill six four two two. So you can get them to, uh, um, to tell your audience or your listeners to call their congressmen and ask them to be a co-sponsor and fix our decaying, dilapidated archaic infrastructure that is over in many cases over a century old right and so um and so in fact it really it was the last serious infrastructure at all which our roads was done under eisenhower so we're mm-hmm. talking about 70 <laughs> we're talking almost uh, uh six, 65 years to 165 years old mm-hmm. our infrastructure in detroit we still have logs as part of our sewer system Hollow trees. Wow. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, I was going to ask you, um, you know, I think uh, Americans used to really take pride in Detroit. You know, well, let me I tell was, you, those mm-hmm. hollow trees are better than uh, lead, lead, uh, <laughs> some of the lead pipes that we put in in, in, the, in some <laughs> other years. <laughs> They're doing anyway, better. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and, and so the National Infrastructure Bank will finally be, will provide a financial mechanism to or, where municipalities, uh, states, and other entities can uh, access a funding, uh, low interest to zero interest loans to rebuild America. America has to be rebuilt, and we mm-hmm. won't off. That's one thing they can't really offshore yet mm-hmm. is our infrastructure. Right. Yeah, and I was going to ask you in terms of uh, this question for you locally in terms of Michigan, um, what's, what's your sense of, of what this could mean for Michigan? Because we've had Michigan, I'll give you an example. I was in upstate New York in 2004. There was a state Democratic convention. And I remember being in Buffalo, and I had been in Buffalo in the mid-early 90s, which already was still blowing out or different than it was in the 60s and 70s, right? But in, in, in 2004, there was an editorial, the first day of the Democratic State Convention, and it said, help us. And the, context, the content of the editorial was, we have not recovered from 1982. This was Buffalo, New York. So, you know, 22 years between 1982 and 2004, and that was now almost 40 years ago, right? And I think the same, the same kind of thing can be said for Detroit. I tend to think of Detroit as sort of like a family member that we have shunned for 40 years. 
one of our mm-hmm. favorite, you know, sons that we used to be so proud of, the football all-star, you know, the, the, the place that everybody wanted to be, right, Motown, you know. Um, what, what's your sense of, of the kind of turnaround you could have uh, for Detroit and for Michigan overall with this national Well, I think it could be a turnaround, and you know, uh, nationally, and of course, in, in Michigan, you know, we have a, a, a decaying road system. We have no way of paying for it. Our school buildings are decaying. A lot of stuff that we're building. We have lead pipes. We had a poisoning of the uh, of the of a whole city in, in the city right. of Flint, and right. so this will be it will provide the, the 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 financing to be able to do that. At the same time, it will put massive amounts of people to work. So it, it works as more than, than a stimulus in that we, we're putting people to work with American jobs and, of course, the, uh, the ripple effect in terms of uh, having working, uh, working class people um, with their income spending that dollars locally um, will have a tremendous economic effect um, uh, locally and as well as nationally. Well, that sounds great. And I, 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 we have put on all of our, on our website now a new banner that says, um, uh, click here for um, placards for protests, basically, and it says um, uh, support HR 6422 for a national infrastructure bank. Uh, you know, full employment, full employment for all black men is another one of our our slogans, and I like that one because it makes people some people argue a little bit, and I want to have that argument. <laughs> well, if you have full employment, that would include black. You can. Mm-hmm. We'll be happy is full employment, including black men. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like to make sure that the you know I'm in California where you got a lot of uh, uh, white liberals and others who think they're on board, and I'm like, we got to really talk about some of this because the Democratic Party we have let them off the hook for a long time, and I think we've let them off the hook in California and New York too, where they like to crow about how great they are, uh, but meanwhile, um, stuff keeps getting progressively worse. <laughs> right. So, well, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, uh, Representative uh, Lemons, I know you're a former representative, but I think of you that way, and I want to th- thank you as well for um, all the work you've done. I know you've worked uh, hard uh, on a number of campaigns that I've worked with you on, and I want to thank you for being on our show. And my pleasure. Anytime, just give me a call. I'll be glad to uh, interact with you. Okay, Mr. Lemons, you have a great day. Take care and be safe. You too. Bye-bye. Happy days are here again. The skies above are clear again. Thank you for listening to New Deal Radio, a weekly podcast brought to you by the New Deal Group. Please visit us at newdealnow.org and feel free to contact me directly, robert at newdealgroup.com.